We want to welcome you to the Bible teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church, where our desire is to honor God by faithful obedience to His Word. If you want to understand the Bible better, please continue to listen as Pastor Matt Postiff explains and applies the biblical text one verse at a time. You can reach us with questions or for more teaching audio and print material at our website, fbcaa.org. You can also watch our services live at fbcaa.org slash live. We want to thank you for listening and pray that you will be edified. Join us now as Pastor Postiff opens God's Word. All right, I'm going to start with the first question that I received, and uh, I have another um, set of notes here that I'm going to use as well, probably end up for the majority of the time, but we'll see uh, if other questions come in. If you turn your Bible to Matthew chapter 1, please, the question that I received has to do with a portion in Matthew chapter 1, and in fact, let me see if I can dig up this question on the old telephone here. Uh, yes, I do want to wish, uh, uh, somebody asks me to wish our two sons, Daniel and David, a very happy birthday today, uh, one a couple days ago and one today, so we do that. Um, Matthew uh, 1 and 23, the question is, can you talk about the significance of the, of the uh, word the, the article, T-H-E, in the Matthew passage regarding the virgin? And then the question is, does every reference in the Bible use the word the in front of the word virgin? And uh, I can't uh, answer that 100%, but I can answer it at least this far this morning. If you look in Matthew 1 and verse 23, this is a quotation of the prophet Isaiah when it says, Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son, And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which is translated God with us. Now, if I go over to my uh, Greek Bible, which I don't have in print here, but I have on my phone, I'm going to try to hunt around here for verse 23. And it says in the Greek, Behold, the virgin will be with child and will have a son, will bear a son and uh, will call his name, and they will call his name Emmanuel, and so on. So it's the, the English is a very excellent translation of that. There's no problem there. Um, but indeed, it is the case that the word here is preceded by the article. Now, if you had taken my Greek class this semester, haha, uh, you would know a lot more about this uh, because we talk quite a bit about it. Sometimes in Greek, the article is present when we don't make it present in English. Other times, it's not present in Greek when we do have to put it in English to make it make proper sense. So, for example, you know, we never say, not, not always, at least certainly not in our circles, we hardly ever say the Christ when we are addressing Jesus, where we talk to him about we talk to him as, or about him as the Lord Jesus Christ or something, but often you'll see the, word, the article in front of a word like that in Greek when we don't always translate it because it's kind of a proper noun in English and so it's understood we don't use the article. Like you'll see the God, the, the God, and it's, it's not translated with an article in English. In this case, the article is there because it's specifying the well-known Virgin. Everybody knows who we're talking about. 
Uh, of course, they didn't know the name of this young lady in uh, Isaiah's day, in Isaiah chapter 7, 14, but uh, it's a specific young woman who uh, has not known a man who is to have uh, this child. Now, that's the one, and so the significance of it really is just, you know, kind of on an initial study by me here is to say that this is the well-known virgin. That is a category in grammar uh, that we have when we talk about the article, the word the in front of a word. Uh, there, there are other ones. You know, it could be the refers to the, the one we just mentioned uh, a minute ago in the prior verse, okay? A, uh, a reference, you know, back, kind of almost like a pronoun back to an antecedent. But that's not the case uh, here per se. Um, and so obviously we know we're talking about Mary. Now, if you look at the uh, Gospel of Luke, look at Luke, and it's in chapter 127. Luke chapter 1 and verse number 27, and I'm going to see if I can hunt that up in this one as well on the Greek text, and it's here. And so the context is that um, the angel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, and then it says, to a to virgin. And there's no word the in front of that word virgin, okay? Why is that? Because the angel was sent to a virgin, a, a someone, we don't know who it is yet but in the reading of it, but we're going to get more specific. It says, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. Now we have specified who it is. We know exactly who it is because... It's, uh, the text has told us that it's uh, one who is betrothed to Joseph of the house of David. Well, that pretty much, uh, you know, probably in a small town like Nazareth, pretty much uh, identifies who it is. But then it says, so it's to a virgin betrothed and so on. The virgin's name was Mary. And so that last phrase of the sentence says, and uh, the name of the virgin was Mary, just translating literally from the Greek text. So the name of the virgin. So there the article is present again. So uh, we've given you three examples, one in Matthew with the word the, and two in Luke, one without and one with, and explained uh, why that is. The first, uh, the first one in Luke here is just because we're t- introduced to some young woman. We don't know who it is until the de- identification is specified, and then... The word the uh, points to the specific one. Obviously, God had in mind a specific person from eternity past to use for this uh, grand purpose of bringing uh, his son into the world in human flesh. And so, um, you know, there's no question that, you know, it was like some random person that uh, just happened to fit the bill, so to speak. Um, And I'll just go back to Isaiah 7. Uh, 14, and see what it says here again. It says, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. That's the text that's quoted in Matthew chapter 1. So uh, hopefully that answers the question that uh, I received, uh, uh, helpfully. Um, I know that you, maybe if you didn't ask the question, doesn't strike you this morning as something like, oh, wow, I always wondered about that word, the, there. 
uh, you know, probably not, but uh, maybe, you know, sometime it will, uh, it will strike you as uh, interesting and that would be a, a help to you. So uh, we'll leave that one there, I think, for now. And I don't think, I'm just going to double check here. Let me see. I don't have any questions yet. I do have a prayer update there I just received, so I'll have to process that later. Uh, another one. Well, this is a handy little device for uh, getting information, but I'm going to put it away for now so it's not a distraction. And uh, I'm going to ask you to, I had another question, but I don't think I'm going to answer it this morning, although I'll, I'll pose the question to you. Uh, the question had to do with uh, how do you handle basically um, what I'll call provisionally righteous deception. Uh, the midwives in Egypt, did they deceive Pharaoh by saying that, you know, we, uh, we come and the, the Israelite women have already given birth and, you know, they're very vigorous and they don't need us and the kids are already born when we get there, so we can't kill them for you, sorry. Or, uh, you know, Rahab uh, hiding the spies and then kind of saying, you know, like, that away uh, sort of thing. Um, and uh, the question was in the context of uh, hiding Jewish people during the uh, occupation in, in uh, Europe by the Jews, uh, by the, sorry, by the Germans after the Jews. And um, so, you know, people would uh, have to face the authorities and the, maybe be asked, are you, are you harboring any Jews there or is that person in your home a Jewish person? And some would say, well, yes, because they didn't feel like they could lie, and others of a Christian ilk would say, no, it's, there's nobody here or whatever, and they'd have somebody kind of squirreled away in their attic or in their little underground railroads, quote-unquote, room. Um, how do you uh, process that? Thou shalt not bear false witness. Is it okay ever? And I think the classic example uh, that uh, we can kind of understand in modern you know, the modern scene is, well, what about a Christian person who is a law enforcement officer who is asked to do undercover work? He is being kind of deceptive, isn't he? Yeah, and for what purpose and to what end? So is that work forbidden for Christians? And uh, then do you take the, uh, the injunction to not bear false witness in an absolute sense? That's the question. I'm not going to answer the question this morning. I'm going to leave it hang over your head for a little bit and just think about uh, what the implications of that are and uh, ask yourself, well, what would I do if I were in that situation? I pray, God, that you will never have to be in that situation. Uh, but we may be put there sometime. We just don't know how things uh, fall out in this odd world of ours. The other thing I thought that I would share with you this morning, perhaps for the balance of the time, is titled this way, Do You Want to Be Friends with God? You know, would you be my friend, God, uh, maybe you could imagine asking. <laughs> Do you want to be my friend? I ran into uh, a verse recently in John chapter 15 and uh, why don't you turn there in John chapter 15, and uh, I'll develop the thought process that I went through as I thought about this question. Really, the question is a, 
is manufactured after the fact um, for the purpose of putting this in a message form. But when I ran into this verse in John chapter 15, I was fascinated by it. And so I studied here a little bit about it in prep for this morning to see if I could understand it better. And here's the verse. It's John 15, 15. It says, No longer do I call you slaves, for the slave does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all the things I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Okay, so... My thoughts started out reading this verse with the idea of being a friend of God as contrasted to being a slave of God. But that then led to other passages of Scripture in my mind, which I remember speak of someone, some person as being a friend of God, primarily Abraham, and we'll look at that in just a moment. And then that led to what does it mean to be a slave of God? And what is the Lord saying in John 15, verse 15? I mean, it seems unarguable from other passages that we are servants or bond servants or slaves of God. Um, so what does it mean when he says, No longer do I call you servants, but I have called you friends. Now, the apostles saw themselves clearly after this was revealed, after Jesus said this, they saw themselves clearly as servants of God. Remember Romans 1.1, Paul says he's a bond servant of Jesus Christ. Or, uh, uh, I just found examples of each of the, of each of the apostles, um, or most of them, some of them anyway, the ones writing in the New Testament. And you have in uh, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 1, uh, Simon Peter, a bond servant an apostle of Jesus Christ, and then you have uh, you don't see it in the book of uh, books of First, Second, and Third John, but if you go over to Jude, Jude says he's a bond servant of Jesus Christ and the brother of James. And then if you look in Revelation one one, again written here by John, it says the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants, which things must shortly take place, and he sent and signified it by his angel to whom his servant, John. So you've got Paul, Peter, John, uh, James. Uh, did, oh, I didn't write down James, did I? Did James say that? Uh, I forgot here to go back and find out. Yeah, James is James 1.1 also. I guess I missed that one in my typed up notes here, so you can add that in. There, these notes are on the website if you want to get them just in the normal place. So you've got Paul, James, Peter, Jude, and John, five of the writing apostles. The other ones, let's see, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. We don't have them writing an introduction like this to a book, but I don't think there's much question that they would have seen themselves the same way as Paul and the other apostles, as bond servants of, of God. But the Lord Jesus in John 15 makes clear that his disciples are not slaves, or shall I say it perhaps better this way, they are not merely slaves or servants or bond servants. I'm not going to get into the whole translation issue of slave, servant, and bond servant. I'll just leave that for another time. I think you get the idea of the, 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 the kind of semantic range of that word, doulos. Anyway, 
I'm going to lay down the assumption here that this idea of being friends applies to us as well. I'm not going to prove that today, but I think you can see that it's a reasonable assumption and uh, perhaps uh, we're able to well back it up you know, with evidence from the scriptures and how this applies to us. I think you'll kind of see that it naturally falls out as we, as we go along. But I'm going to just for now assume that this idea that we can be considered the friends of Christ and the friends of God also applies to us because the apostles didn't have a super privileged place before God. They certainly were privileged. But, you know, Peter says, for example, of himself, I who am a fellow elder among you. You know, he, he, he takes himself, you know, from the pedestal of popery, so to speak, down to, you know, the level of regular man. Um, and, uh, you know, John, uh, you know, well, also, are just, you know, they recognize that they're not, uh, you know, super apostles or something like that. So somehow both ideas of slave and friend are true descriptions of our relationship to God. Now let's go back in our Bibles to 2 Chronicles 20 and verse number 7, and I want to just pause and um, mention about Abraham. The the scripture says that uh, Abraham was a friend of God, and we'll just... uh, Highlight that in a couple of spots. Second Chronicles 20 and verse number 7. Are you not our God who drove out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and gave it to the descendants of Abraham, your friend, forever? Abraham, your friend. Now, James picks this up in James 2.23. And the scripture was fulfilled, which says, Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. Or since maybe you're still in the Old Testament there, turn forward a few books to Isaiah chapter 41. Isaiah 41 Sometimes uh, I think people memorize verse number 10 more frequently than they do some of the other verses, but in Isaiah 41, 8, listen to this. But you, Israel, my servant, Jacob, whom I have chosen, the offspring of Abraham, my friend. Okay, there's the third reference in the scriptures. You whom I took from the ends of the earth and called from its farthest corner, saying to you, you are my servant. I would suppose that if Abraham were, and he was, the friend of God, that people who followed along in his footsteps and his faith would also be friends of God. But here they also are called servants. God says, I have chosen you and not cast you off. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And so it's really in the context of Abraham being a friend of God, the nation of Israel being his servants, God's servants, he's going to not cast them off, he's going to be with them and uphold them and strengthen them and, and all of that. And I think connected to Abraham's covenant, which we're going to look at again later this morning, Abraham's, the Abrahamic covenant and God's unbreakable promise to them. 
So indeed, it appears that not only the nation of Israel, but we too ourselves would be able to consider ourselves to be servants and friends also. Listen to John 15, 13, would you please? Greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his, you know the word, don't you? Friends. In John chapter 3 and verse number 29, John the Baptist was called the friend of the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom. I'm, I'm coming to why I think this is important now. And I want to speak about the need to talk about the subject because I think in recent years I've seen a bit, a bit of overemphasis on the idea of a Christian as a slave. Okay? Books and sermons have been preached that speak about this concept of a Christian as a slave. And I'm not trashing those entirely. Please don't take it that way. I'm, I'm just cautioning us as to some overemphasis that might be possible. I see the necessity of speaking on the topic of Christians as slaves or servants of God because human nature tends toward antinomianism. People don't want to be under law. They don't want to be under command. They don't want to be under expectation. They don't want any you know, responsibilities laid upon them. They want all the privileges, but none of the responsibilities. And so what happens is that people, you know, swing all the way over here to this side, and it's like just free and easy grace, no problem. You know, don't tell me about the lordship of Christ. I don't want to hear about it. I'm my own person. I run my own life. Uh, You know, expectations in the Bible. No, I'm saved by grace. I can go ahead and just do whatever. God will forgive me. Just all kind of stuff that I'm kind of picturing on this side of the pendulum swing. So in response to that, Christian theologians and pastors swing down here and say, look, there's, there's the love of God and the grace of God, but then they can tend to go a little bit beyond that and just overemphasize the idea that we're slaves. You know, forget all of that stuff. Some of it's true, some of it's false, but forget all of it and kind of move over here. Not that these people who are teaching it do forget all of this stuff over here, but uh, you know, in the tendency that people have towards self-autonomy, you know what self-autonomy means? Come on, think with me now. <laughs> Self, auto, kind of says the same thing, and then nami is law. I make my own rules. That's what self-autonomy is. I do what I want to do without interruption or intervention by somebody else. People simply do not want to humble themselves and acknowledge that Christ is their boss and they need to be obedient to him. Uh, you know, we, we ignore the fact that the Lord, the word Lord does in fact mean Lord. You get that? It's very simple, but it's not. More simply translated, the word Lord means master. So there is a truth to this, but I'm trying, to, I'm trying to swing the pendulum just a little bit back in this direction, okay, because I don't want to overemphasize being God's slave. The Bible rela- reveals other ways in which the Christian is related to God. I'll, I'll say that 
you know, those ways that we're related to God are, can I say it this way and you understand what I mean, softer. They don't have the hard edge of you're a slave of Christ, you're a bond servant. Our relationship with God is multifaceted. By the way, it is a relationship. And one of the reasons we know that is because Christ is calling us friends, you know, not just employees or slaves. We are indeed subjects, yes, but that relationship is multifaceted. We are servants, yes, but we are also other things to God. For example, Christ gave his life for his sheep. We are like his sheep. We are followers. We are disciples. We're not just slaves. We're members of his body. In fact, the Bible likens his church to his bride. Okay, that's not a slave kind of idea. We are objects of his care and provision. And even to this point, we are his co-laborers. Remember Paul saying that? We labor together with God. So we have all of these aspects or facets of our relationship to God. It's not just I'm a slave, he's the master. He's God and I'm the sheep, the servant, the slave, the follower, the co-laborer, the bride, uh, the disciple, the follower, a member of his body, and and, an object of his precious care and provision. That's how we are related to him. And I bet you probably could find maybe another half a dozen descriptions in the scriptures, and I'd love for you to share those with me if you think of them. I'll add them to my notes here of uh, ways in which our relationship to God is characterized, okay? And again, it is a relationship. Knowing Christian doctrine is not, does not make you a Christian, right? Knowing Christ as a friend is the connection that makes you a Christian, And uh, notice, by the way, too, that when the Bible says about Abram, back in that text that we read that uh, in James 2.23, the scriptures say, Abram believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You don't get to be a friend of God if you're living in sin. You don't get to be a friend of God if you're not, um, you don't have his righteousness. You know, if you haven't believed in Christ and had his righteousness applied to your account, you're not a friend of God. Now, how do we know about our friendship status with God? How, how is it that we can kind of, well, let's investigate it a little bit further. Christians trust Christ and rejoice that God in Christ, God sent Christ to die for them to remove their sins as an issue in their relationship to God. Remember always, your sin makes a separation between you and your God. Okay, That's what sin does. It's a separating feature. But beside the fact that Jesus laid down his life for his friends, how do we know if we are a friend of God and what that actually means? Well, in John, again, John 15, in the context, I'll go back there, invite you to follow along with me in John 15, verse 14. The scripture says, you are my friends if you do whatever I command you. So a mark of a friend of Christ is that he keeps Christ's commands. And this demonstrates our love for him. In fact, he says in John 14 and a number of other places, if you love me, 
keep my commandments. So if you love me, keep my commandments, and a friend uh, will do whatever I command you. So there is the kind of a, uh, could I just say like friend equals keep commandments equals love? It's kind of like a, a ball of wax there. That's the whole shebang. It's all connected together. Friends doing what God commands, demonstrating love for him. Uh, you see it in John uh, 14, verse 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. Uh, John 14, 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. John 15, 10. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. First John 5 also has a couple of verses that say basically the same thing. Love and friendship with God go together. Another way that we can test our friendship with God is to ask if we are more friendly with God or if we're more friendly with the world. James 4.4, 4, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. All right, so ask yourself on my friendship meter, okay, I've got my little, my little bar chart here, okay, my friendship meter, uh, with the world and with God. Is my friendship with the world higher than my friendship with God? Why? Or is it like it should be? Like this, with the friendship of God way up here and the friendship of the world way down here near zero. The friendship status also is proven by how the Lord made known to the apostles the things disclosed by God the Father. This makes the friendship not just a mystical feeling. Let me, let me un, I, I know I've just confused half of you, okay? Let me unwind that. Look at John 15, 15 again. No longer do I call you servants, for a servant does not know what his master is doing. But I have called you friends, for all things that I have heard from my Father I have made known to you. Just in a very kind of simplistic way, uh, you know, you don't share your personal life information with just anybody out there. Well, unless you're on Facebook. But anyway, uh, forget about that. Uh, you share personal things with your friends, right? You let them in on the details of what's going on in your life and you talk to them and ask them advice and explain and, and that's how you know you're, you're in a friendship kind of relationship. So the friendship with Christ and with God is not just a mystical feeling like you got, wake up in the morning and you say, oh, I feel so friendly with God this morning. You're looking at this text and you're saying, aha, the fact that he has shared with us his plans and what he's doing and his kind of the overview of his program and, and special revelation and how to live and all of that, that stuff that's been revealed from God through Christ to us demonstrates that we are God's friends and that he has put us into that place of friendship. We have now that completed revelation in Scripture that the apostles were promised in the Gospel of John and if for us, it's as complete as it's going to get. I mean, until I think the Lord Jesus returns and then, you know, out of his mouth will spill all kinds of new revelation, but that's not for this age. We have what he's given to us and we're told to rehearse it and review it and repeat it and proclaim it and preach it and memorize it 
and live it until he returns. But there is a strong connection between the relational status of us as Christians with God and the revelatory information disclosed by God to the believer. Let me uh, try to uh, highlight this idea again by going back to the prophet Amos. In Amos chapter 3 and verse 7, I couldn't help but think of this text as I was reviewing this. It says in Amos 3, 7, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret to his servants, the prophets. For some reason, God delights to share information with those that are closely related to him. And he did the same with Abraham, if we haven't gotten there yet, but in Genesis 18 and 19, he's going to speak to Abraham and kind of say, well, shall I hide from Abram what I'm going to do with Sodom and Gomorrah? And he tells him, and then Abram gets into this back and forth with him. We'll get to that. But So the same kind of thing. Abram's, Abraham's a friend of God, and or Abram, before we get to chapter 17, and uh, God reveals information to him, proving this friendship relationship. A standard slave is not in on the plans and internal operations of his master. You know, how does a slave work? Master says, do this, and you do it. You don't ask why. You don't ask the big picture. I don't understand why I'm doing this. You just do it, right? He implements the master's order, but doesn't necessarily know what's coming next or the big picture or why he's doing it or he can't see what the purpose of it is, things like that. Christians, on the other hand, are less like slaves and more like adult sons. Or, using another figure, Christians are less like slaves and they're more like the bride of the master. Now, we're not in charge, but we are close to the person who is in charge, seriously close to that person, walking with him. And at the same time, we serve him, we're humble before him, we love him, and he loves us. So that's, that's my kind of first cut at trying to explain this idea of being a friend of God. You, you have insider information. You have been told things that other people don't know or understand who, who, to whom the book is closed here. They don't, you know, if they don't open the book, they don't read the book, they don't, they're not literate in the Bible. Uh, and you are and you've received the things of God and love Christ and you, you can know, hey, I'm his friend. He's going to let me in on, on the secrets here. You know, he's let me in on what's, what his program is. So the first, a partial conclusion from this, from thinking about this question of a friend versus a servant is that we need to be careful not to make our relationship with Jesus to be too slavish in our mind to the detriment of other facets of our relationship. Indeed, we do have a italicized the word relationship with God, with our master, but he considers us to be his friends and we can consider him to be our friend as well. And I say that with this, I think you understand, without being flippant. You know, yeah, my buddy Jesus. That's not what I'm talking about. Okay, I'm talking about a deep friendship relationship without being flippant. We should not be indifferent to the idea of friendship as if we're, you know, maybe you can think about, you know, way over here on this end of the spectrum, you know, we please God by, by uh, keeping his commands. We, we just 
do the slave thing and that'll make everything fine. There's something more to our relationship with God than that. And that's why I'm trying to bring that pendulum back just a wee little bit. Because a friendship with God is precious, it's important, it's powerful, it's comforting that God is our friend. We need to see ourselves in the full light of what God has told us about our relationship with Him, not just one part of that light that He's revealed to us. It's a huge privilege to be able to rightly think about ourselves as friends of Christ, very close friends. You're not merely an acquaintance of Him. True salvation is not, oh, I'm acquainted with Jesus. Like, I know about that guy. I know a little bit, you know. True salvation is, I am His and He is mine. I know Him and He knows me, and in that, the Father knows me. In fact, John 17, 3, doesn't it say, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and His Son, Jesus Christ, whom you've sent? It's a knowledge kind of uh, relationship that we're talking about here. We are uh, in his plans. We know what he's doing because he's told us we're not in the dark on things because we are friends of God. So I'll close with this little question. Do you have friends in high places? (laughs) Do you have friends in high places? I hope you have a capital F, friend, in high places, in God and in Christ. Uh, That's the best friend to have. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are grateful to you that we can think of our relationship to you as a friendly relationship, as one of friend with friend, even as a friend who sticks closer than a brother. What a privilege to know that. And, and not just to feel it, but to know from Scripture that there are others who are called friends of God. You've died for your friends, Lord Jesus, uh, to give your life for them because greater love has no man than that. And you have shown us in your word the things that you are doing, and this gives us a great amount of evidence that indeed, yes, we are friends, not merely slaves who are just following uh, orders in a kind of blind or mindless way. This is more, far more than that in the Christian life. And may each one here sense and feel that uh, deep importance of the idea of being a friend of God through Christ. And if they don't have that here or listening online, I pray that they would seek to be introduced to a new friend a friend in the highest of places, in Jesus' name, amen.